Welcome to the Urbanist Agenda, the podcast where we don't remove bike lanes. This is Jason from Not Just Bikes, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Reese from RM Transit. Say hi, Reese. Hi there, guys. So this is a bit of a special episode of the Urbanist Agenda. It's going to come out off schedule because I specifically wanted this episode to be recorded as close to the Toronto mayoral election date as possible while still giving a little bit of time. So that's what we're here to talk about as two people who have spent a fair amount of their adult lives living in Toronto, both of us. So we're kind of in on this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, invested in a positive outcome here. Yeah, I really do want to see a positive outcome here because I still go back to Toronto. Anybody that doesn't know me, I live in Amsterdam now, but I still go back to Toronto to visit the in-laws and friends once a year. And I would really like to see the city improve, move forward, not backwards. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So where do we start with this, Reese? Because like, I don't even know. We've talked about this already, but there's just so many different angles of this thing. It's crazy. Yeah. So Toronto had a mayor and it doesn't now. It doesn't anymore. <laughs> um, the mayor was, uh, yeah, scandal, sex scandal. Probably not the first, maybe not the last in Toronto history. But I can't believe it, to be honest. I can't believe that he resigned. After you see what, for instance, all the stuff that Doug Ford did. It's not Doug Ford, sorry. Rob Ford did. I mean, Doug Ford's a dick, too. But Rob Ford did <laughs> was smoking crack. He was and, there until and, his dying breath, really. Literally, right? Like, he literally, like, died as mayor. And, I mean, he was just like, I'm not stepping down. No, no, you step down. <laughs> like, it was like... And I was just surprised, to be honest, that John Tory did the principal, I guess, the, thing. the principal thing, the thing that politicians used to do before the Trump days and the Ford days and things like that, where they just said no. Yeah. And there were no actual rules about that. So they could just say no. Yeah. But anyway, long story short, they're having a mayoral election, but it's off schedule. It's just being done as soon as it could be done. Yeah. Six months basically after. So this person's going to be mayor for what's like two and a half years, probably. <laughs> they have some runway, essentially. So every time there's a Toronto mayoral election, there's always an awful lot of candidates. This is a, like a normal thing. And there's always a bunch of joke candidates and the candidates all the way down the ballot. Anybody that's voted in it would remember that you see a huge long list. But this one is even bigger. It's 102 candidates who are running for mayor this time around. There's truly a candidate for everyone. <laughs> yes, there is. However, because it's a first-past-the-post election, you can't just vote for who you want. You have to vote strategically. So that's going to be a common thread as we go through this conversation. There was supposed to be ranked choice voting in Ontario. London, Ontario did it for their elections back in 2018, I think it was. And it was very successful. And that was going to be what was going to be done going forward if cities wanted to use it. But then Doug Ford comes along, the premier of Ontario and Rob Ford's brother, and says, nah, you're not doing that. Yeah. And the meta of that is just that if most people are going to vote in a progressive direction, if you have ranked choice, you're going to get a progressive outcome. If you yep. don't, you can have an undemocratic outcome. <laughs> yeah. And that's the outcome that we want, apparently. So... <sighs> Uh, Doug Ford continuing the time-honored tradition of the Ontario Provincial Conservative government screwing over Toronto. So, here we are. Uh, <laughs> and actually, Doug Ford is way too involved in Toronto in general. He used to be a city councillor here. His brother was mayor. He tried to run for mayor. And he keeps talking about Toronto and getting involved in Toronto. And he's got his fingers always in Toronto. And I know that some of the members of Parliament in other than Toronto often say, what are you doing, man? Like, Get out of Toronto. Like, you're supposed to be premier of the whole province. But 
he loves to stick his fingers in Toronto. And unfortunately, the way that politics are set up in Canada is that cities don't actually really exist. They are only a tool of the province. They are allowed to do as much as the province lets them do effectively. Now, I mean, there are reasons why you can't just try to step in as a dictator. People will get upset about that, but you could. There's nothing really stopping you. So yeah. this is going to be interesting. And Doug has been talking about various candidates. But anyway, let's not talk about Doug. Let's talk about the candidates. Who do you want to talk about first here, Reese? So maybe we should talk about the worst of the candidates who aren't actually just irrelevant. Because the irrelevant candidates are many. As Jason said, there is like a list of 100 people yeah. who want to be mayor or who think it would be funny if they were mayor, but <laughs> there are not that many serious candidates. And I guess that the two candidates that come to mind as candidates who we wouldn't want to win are Mark Saunders and Anthony Fury, <sighs> two upstanding citizens, not really, bull in the china shop. They both want to remove bike lanes so that there's more space for cars and just kind of everything that comes with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll talk about Fury first. But so this dude is a former Toronto Sun columnist and the Toronto Sun is effectively a trash rag. Like it's very much one of those newspapers that let's say bends the truth a lot and does pretty much everything they can get away with. And they've always been very anti-bike lane, anti-pedestrian stuff, very pro-car, very right-wing, to be honest. But in general, they've been a pretty horrible influence on Toronto for a very long time. And so to see a Toronto Sun columnist join, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's disappointing to see how much support he gets. But this kind of is Toronto, right? Like, there's big chunks of Toronto, the people who voted in the Fords, who this is what they want. They want an asphalt-covered car-centric city, and they're happy to vote that way. Yeah. The only thing that I see as a positive is that at least there's not just one anti-bike lane person running, because <laughs> that way they can enjoy some vote splitting of their own. Yeah, what normally happens in Toronto is the progressive candidate split the vote, and then the regressive candidate gets in. But in this case, yeah, we got both Saunders and Fury. So anything else you want to say about him before we move on? I mean, I just think even if you were like a principled conservative, removing the bike lanes would be a pretty bad idea. I mean, like if you were a traditional conservative like John Tory, a lot of bike lanes got built during John Tory's time as right. mayor. Because John Tory is more practical, you know, he's yeah. more of a kind of old school conservative. I guess that's why he stepped down after his sex scandal. But He's conservative, but really he's just the fiscal conservative kind of. But he's open to things if they can fit within that traditional conservative and fiscal conservative mindset, right? Whereas these other guys are ideological. Yeah, exactly. And so essentially the data told the guy that the bike lanes aren't going to slow traffic down, which I think it has again and again. He's like, yeah. OK, sure. And when the business owners are saying, well, actually, now these are great because when bike lanes get installed, business goes up. It's kind of like, like oh, yeah. OK, fine, let's do it. Yeah. You know, he's not ideological about it. Yeah. And there's something like, you know, I think that it's important to kind of, you know, Tory created a lot of problems for Toronto. But like on that, like I think, yeah, kudos, you know, you should be actually looking at the data presented to you and, you know, not come in and say these bike lanes, they're causing a lot of problems. I see them on many streets. And they need to be They're removed. all empty. Nobody's <laughs> in them. <laughs> yeah, it's just like Tory sort of seemed like he was at least aware of the culture. The culture is like bike lanes are good. 
These guys are not right. aware of that. Yeah, I mean, so if you go to Anthony Fury's website, he's got along the top home about announcements, events, and bike lane petition. So like, it's like right along the top as one of the first things on his website. Have Toronto bike lanes gone too far? If you think so, sign the petition. These guys are really trying to make bike lanes a wedge issue in Toronto. And there's this organization called Keep Toronto Moving that started, and I don't know who's behind this. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was some of these same people. But Keep Toronto Moving is literally just, well, supposed to be a nonprofit grassroots organization that wants to get rid of bike lanes. I mean, that's it. They have a whole bunch of stuff on their website about how Toronto is really busy and crowded and gridlocked. And then just not saying it, but just making the assumption that it's because of the bike lanes. Yeah, even the name is a bit ironic, you know, keep yeah, Toronto moving ridiculous. because I'm moving that well right now. It's really not. And I mean, the thing is, these people look at this stuff and they honestly think like it's the bike lanes causing the trouble. Toronto has had brutal traffic forever and it's been designed to be super car centric since like the 1960s. Right. So, yeah, they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And traffic just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But somehow, I mean, we know what it is. It's that one more lane, bro. Right. Just one more lane. I mean, that's really what these candidates are all about. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's kind of clownish when you hear someone go, oh, Toronto, a city with so many bike lanes. You know, it's just like, yeah, uh, right. uh, come on, guys. <laughs> There's like hardly anything. There's a couple of painted bicycle gutters, a handful of good. I mean, there's some good ones going in on college, yep, right? Yeah. I mean, there's some good ones, but it's like, if you were these guys, you drive around Toronto, you're not seeing a lot of bike lanes. No. And they're not no, driving they're... around downtown. <laughs> even driving around downtown, you're not mm -hmm. going to find a bike lane on even 50% of the streets. Yeah. So like, come on, this is, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is ludicrous, but they're really trying to make this a wedge issue. And so what I'm seeing in a lot of these platforms is Saunders and Fury are super anti-bike lane, like really in your face on their website all the time, super anti-bike lane. And the rest of the candidates just aren't talking about it. Now, I think you had a take on this. That part of that is just that it's starting to become normal that more bike lanes get built every year. Yeah. And I, people aren't really pushing back so much on that, like normal people. I mean, I think so. Like, if you look at the city of Toronto's bike folks within the transportation department, the bike group, and there's a couple of people on Twitter who kind of talk about it. They're actually great. Like, they're super scrappy. Mm -hmm. They're getting real stuff built, like little connections, new lane here, upgrading the lane here. They're doing good stuff. And they're just sort of like, they're on this good, positive trajectory to right. better biking in Toronto. And like, as we said, that was like developing while Tory was mayor. So I think it's kind of a like, yeah, let's just like let the train continue on the tracks here that I had to make a train metaphor. You know, that's it's just it's necessary. <laughs> we'll get to trains in a moment. <laughs> but this is the way like clearly you look at Montreal, you look at Ottawa. Those guys are doing bike lanes. Toronto's bigger, should be doing bike lanes. So I think, yeah, the status quo now is bike lanes. So you have to be a crazy right winger to be like no bike lanes. Yeah. And speaking of crazy right-wingers, let's move on to Saunders. So this guy is the former chief of police of Toronto. So, I mean, he's a cop, <laughs> first thing. So that's where we're starting from. Do you want to say something about it before I go off on this I guy? I mean, like, you know, we've walked around Toronto a couple times, and it's only a few times. And in the time that we walked around Toronto, there was a cop parked in a bike lane. So, like, that's mm -hmm. the approach the Toronto police generally has towards bike lanes. And we had a whole other episode about the fact that they that's don't true. care about any kind of traffic safety. So 
you know, it's sort of like, do you want to elect that guy as mayor and then just make that the whole city policy? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. We're not going to go into it too much because Reese and I did already record a whole episode on this. But the Toronto police a few years ago effectively just stopped enforcing traffic laws. And a lot of people died as a result. And traffic became like the Wild West. And hey, guess who was chief of police while a lot of that was happening? This dude. Like, it's insanity Like he did such a shit job as chief of police. The fact that anybody looks at that and say, oh, yes, more of that, please, as the mayor, even if he were implementing policies that we could agree with, which he is certainly not. Yeah, he was just a shit chief and, of police. I mean, even if you are a driver, you know, you shouldn't want this guy to be elected because, I mean, like driving in Toronto would be terrifying. I mean, like, there's no rules. You could just drive at any speed. You don't have to stay in your lane. There's no rules that you must abide by within Toronto besides ideally don't hit things. Other than that, you know, <laughs> everything goes. And so like even as a driver, you know, he's not like a law and order guy. He's a driver's must be prioritized at the expense of everything guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he would just be an absolute disastrous choice. And he's polling what now in number three. Yeah, there's a real risk. You know, when the policy of some people is like, we will enforce the law and the police chief, like the former police chief doesn't have that in his platform with regard to road safety, at least, you know, things are screwed up. Yeah. I mean, he's got a press release on his website that says Mark Saunders will prioritize safety, mental health and affordable housing over bike lanes. Like as if as if those things are in conflict were at all. In conflict? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it's such an absurd take, to be honest. Sometimes I see a bike lane and I just cry, you know? <laughs> but Mark's got my back. <laughs> the quote he's got here. People are sleeping on the street. Riders don't feel safe on the TTC. Families are stepping over used needles of the park. Residents can't find a home they can afford. Yet the career politicians spent over $75 million on bike lanes from 2019 to 2021. Like, this is a city with a $5 billion yeah, that's, budget. Yeah, that's always the real banger. It's just uh, these people talk about bike lanes like we're spending all this money on them. And it's, you know, the positive and negative of like someone like Tory being supportive of it is the only reason he's okay with it is because they're not exactly affecting yeah. the budget <laughs> in any serious way. I mean, they're effectively a rounding error yeah. in the overall budget, right? Like, when you look at the percentage, even of just the transportation services budget, it's like one to three percent or something like that. I mean, it's so tiny. There are so many arguments to be made that by having bike lanes, you're actually reducing the cost on the city. You know, like they don't have to repay yeah. the roads as often or something. So it's not yeah. even clear that it's a cost at all. No, of course not. And they've shown that traffic crashes decrease on roads in Toronto where protected bike lanes were put in because it just generally slows down the whole street. It keeps everybody paying more closer attention. And traffic flows perfectly fine. In fact, this is one of these things I intend to make a video about soon, because a lot of cities are moving to a 30 kilometer per hour citywide speed mm. limit. When drivers are going slower, traffic flows better. There's less like people having trouble turning into traffic. There's less problems in general. Everybody's got a lot more time to react. And traffic flows better at slower speeds. And it's just so absurd. These people, again, they're ideologues. And the truth is, when it comes to Saunders, I'm not even sure how much he believes it. I think he just saw how taking this kind of approach worked for people like Rob Ford. Mm. And he's just saying, I'm going to go after that. Yeah, ape that type of argument. I mean, yeah, ultimately, yeah. I think there's a valuable discussion to be had about the fact that the speed and capacity of a transportation system are not the same. So 
I know that exactly. that's far too sophisticated discussion for maybe uh, Mark Saunders to be discussing, but you know, it's there. <sighs> Number three. Wow, I didn't realize he was polling that high. I guess Mark Saunders. All right. Well, anything else you want to say on him? I mean, he may come up again in this discussion, nah. but anything else you want to say before we move on? Yeah. All right. So down there, I think who must be number four then is Matt Lau, right? Yes. So I believe the current polling is Chow, then Bailau, then Saunders, right. then Matt Lowe. Right. Matt Lowe. So I've had some dealings with this guy mm. in the past. Not all of them good, but he's certainly a lot better. Like if you've got your Saunders and you've got your Furies, like they're way off in La La Land. Mm -hmm. But Matt Lau is at least within the realm of reasonable discussion. And he is a former counselor who has generally been in favor of expanding the TTC and lots of good things like that. So do you have anything you want to say on him? You know, I think that on transit, it's like, eh, he's not going to be a Saunders or a Fury, right? Like, it's a general positive direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think on the whole, when I was looking at the policies, a lot of the policies between Chow, Matlow, and Bailao, a lot of them felt the same. So I would just kind of say, yeah. he's a contender. He's up there. He's definitely not a never vote. You know, he's right. not a Saunders or right. a Fury. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. He's one of those guys that's like, if it started coming down to the wire and you needed to vote strategically, I think it would be fine to vote for Matt Yeah, Lowe. I think that's what I would say. I it. will say that one policy that he did mention that I think is a pretty solid idea is doing more rail paths. So there's one in yes. West Toronto. It's quite a good corridor for pedestrians and cyclists separated from traffic. It really is, yeah. Traffic. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. So he wants to do more. And I think that's a good idea. I think it is, too. And in general, he has been in favor of TCC projects in the past. Was he one of the counselors? I may be mixing it up because it's been a while. Was he one of the counselors who was really big on the Scarborough LRT instead of the subway? Yes. Yeah. Which I have mixed feelings on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you and I disagree on that a little bit. I actually really like the idea of a LRT that goes more places for the same cost as a smaller subway. Yeah. But I also get the benefits of a subway as well. Well, there's still an LRT on the table. So there is the Eglinton East LRT, which would be basically right. going out to UTSC and basically forming a big U through Scarborough. So that is on the table. I actually think that that's a worse project than the original Scarborough LRT. It should just be like a BRT or something. But at the very right. least, Chow, Matlau, and Bailau appear to be committed to, actually, sorry, just Matlau and Chow appear committed to doing something in Scarborough, including right. the SRT is going to be shut down. So you got to do something there. And they both have discussed putting in some bus lanes or doing a busway, which is going to be pretty important for traffic. I mean, like not even just. Yeah, I know. Right. For people who aren't familiar with Toronto, they are building a subway out in the east side in Scarborough. Mm. And this had a I don't know what we would call it. I mean, it's like the Vancouver SkyTrain, but never got upgraded. Yeah, right. Basically, <laughs> they, <laughs> they had this crusty old. Skytrain that never got upgraded that was really at the end of the line. And so many years ago, I think this is going back to 2017, 2018, mm. there was a huge debate as to whether this would be turned into a subway extension or whether it would be turned into an LRT that would branch out and go into Scarborough. This split a lot of people for many years, but ultimately they decided to build the subway. Mm. The thing is that crusty old Skytrain that never got upgraded is going to be gone and it still carries lots of people and the subway is going to take a long time to build. So in between that, what are they going to do? And I did see that Bailau and Matlow both had in their platforms explicitly, we're going to do something about this. Yeah, which if you're not insane, you should, because 
basically, they're planning to run a bus like every minute or 40 seconds or something on Midland Avenue in Scarborough. So it will be traffic chaos for everyone, cyclists, pedestrians, drivers, unless they get a dedicated space for the buses. So really, like a Saunders and a Fury should be like all over this because it's like a low cost thing that's going to reduce traffic. But they're nowhere to be found. They should be. And the progressive candidates generally do support doing something. Yeah, the problem is, again, Saunders and Fury take an ideological stance on this, even though it's illogical. Rob Ford did the same thing. He was all about like transit should never be on the surface. It should be subways underground. And he was always big on, you know, subways, 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 he used to say. God, that guy was such a dickhead. But anyway, (laughs) he was all about subways. But the whole reason why he was about subways is to keep like the ground was for cars. It wasn't a transit argument. No, it was not a transit argument. It was that we acknowledge that you simply cannot move everyone in cars. They got to that point where the evidence was overwhelming that if you got rid of the subway, if you got rid of transit, the entire city would grind to a halt. So they could not deny that transit was a thing. So the stance that they took was that transit is fine as long as it's never in the way of cars, as long as it never takes so much as an inch away from the space between buildings, because 100% of that is for cars. Maybe we put a sidewalk. Like, that's the philosophical stance they're coming at it with. So the problem is these guys can't say that they'll do something like a BRT because that is taking space away from cars on the ground, even though it makes sense. Unless it's a conversion of the existing route, though. It's kind of back to the same things that got discussed during the whole LRT saga, which is that there's already this corridor that the existing, what are we calling it, cranky sky train, fallen apart sky train. Let's call it cranky sky train. Uh, Yeah, that corridor is going to be just nothing, just some rails with no trains. So the proposal was kind of like, let's just pave that, put some bus lanes there, and then have the buses completely separated out of the traffic so that they can run freely. Because once they're running a minute apart, like you do need that because they're never going to run on time otherwise, like at all. It's going to be just a continuous line of buses. Can you imagine like a suburban strode and it's just lined with buses as far as the eye can see with the occasional cars stuck in between them? It's I beautiful, mean, it would just... but it's also not a good idea. <laughs> oh, my God, it would be such chaos. So it's nice to see the progressive candidates actually taking a stance on this, whereas the nut jobs, it goes against their philosophy, which is insane. But that's the point. There are sane candidates here and there are insane candidates here. And you know that when this happens, like once the buses start running, they're going to realize it's a disaster and they're going to try to do something, but it will be like years too late. Yes. I mean, everybody will see what an absolute clusterfuck that is. (laughs) But again, it'll be too little too late by that point in time. Exactly. So Anything else on that, Lowe, before we move on? No, I think that he mentioned he wants to reverse the TTC service has been cut back. It's really screwed up. I think that it's sort of like, frankly, this should be the thing for a lot of people that just makes you realize you cannot afford to elect someone like Fury or Saunders because the subway in Toronto, you know, for all of its issues, it historically has run like every five minutes from morning till night. Yeah. And now, you know, it's running every 10, it's running every 13. It's insane. So... If you want to continue the boat traveling in that direction, you would know who to vote for. But everyone else seems to be like, yeah, let's fix this now, immediately. Yeah. And the Toronto subway moves more people than Highway 401, which is the busiest highway in North America. Yeah. Like busier than anything in the United States, including like the Katy Freeway in Houston. So this is like 18 lanes of car traffic and the subway still moves more people. 
Like, it moves a ridiculous number of people. So when those subways come, like, 13 minutes instead of every three or four, the platforms are crazy full. It's ridiculous. And there's a lot more cars on the road. Yeah, because people are like, forget this. Like, there's lots of people who take the subway in Toronto because it is the fastest and best way to get around. Mm -hmm. Like, for a lot of people. And those people very often own cars, too. So if they're being crammed in like sardines because of service cuts... For no good reason. Like the capacity is there. They're just not running the trains. A large chunk of those people are just going to drive cars mm -hmm. because they'll be forget it. I'm not doing this because it's no longer the fastest and most convenient way to get around. Yep. So that's a key issue. Yeah. And I'm glad to see uh, Matlow talking about that. So polling in number two place. And I was really hoping by the time we recorded this podcast that somebody would have dropped out because that's what always happens with these Toronto mayoral elections because it's first past the post, because you have vote splitting and you have strategic voting. Somebody comes along polling low, some candidate will drop out and say everybody should go vote for so and so. But that has not happened yet. Yeah. And so we still have a pretty full field at the top. People need to, you know, if you're thinking about who you're going to vote for, and if you don't have to vote early, wait until the last second, honestly, because you don't know what could happen, right? If suddenly the polling inverts and I don't know, Matlow is the number one candidate or is the number two candidate. You know, if you want to vote strategically, yeah. you have to vote for the most likely candidate to win who isn't, you know, one of the we're going to remove the bike lanes guys. I know. Yeah. And it's really sad, but that's the truth. I mean, when it comes down to it, that would be my recommendation to anybody who lives in Toronto. First of all, you should vote. Like, please, for the love of God, vote. This is the number one thing that leads to better cities. Mm -hmm. you, you gotta vote. But when there's a first-past-the-post election, especially one with as many candidates as this, you gotta vote as late as possible. Because you basically have to look at the latest polling data and vote for Matlau, Chow, or Bailau, whoever's the best contender. I mean, that's really the sad part about it. But that's all there is to it. It's the choice we're given. I know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, moving on. Polling in number two place is Bailau. And Bailau it is? Anna. Anna. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with her. Her name did appear a few times back when my wife was doing cycling advocacy in Toronto. She was generally favorable. She's a little bit more of a center-right candidate mm. than someone like Chow, mm -hmm. for example. But she was generally in favor of bike lanes. And I remember specifically that she spoke at one of those public events in favor of the Buller bike lanes. So mm. she wasn't just in favor of it at the voting, but otherwise silent about it. She was actively out there talking about it. So I think she's probably better than most on some of this stuff, at least of the center-right candidates. But that's really all I know about her. I didn't really see much from her otherwise, yeah. because she wasn't as in your face as some of these other counselors. I think she is kind of the establishment favorite to win. She was previously deputy right. mayor for Tory. Oh, yeah, of course. But she's like, as you've kind of said, she's like a next generation person. So she's kind of more progressive than Tory. So like Tory was cool with the bike lanes. She's willing to say, like, we should build bike lanes. So it's just like everything is right. a bit more to the left, a bit more progressive. So I think on that, like, she's popular with the establishment. She's got a lot of endorsements from other candidates. The main thing that differentiates her from Matt Lau and Chow is that she doesn't want to not rebuild the gardener. She wants to upload the gardener and the DVP to the province. She says she wants mm. to do this. Matt Lau and Chow do not want to rebuild the gardener. They want to build it as a right. surface street, which I think is like, you know, not rebuilding that section 
is like a whole thing. It's like a whole conversation. Oh, my God. I actually got a bit involved in this when I was living in Toronto. So to anybody who's not familiar, the Gardner Expressway is an urban freeway. Urban freeways are a terrible idea. They really, really are because they just funnel cars into a downtown then can't take the cars. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that they cut off neighborhoods and it's cut off Toronto's waterfront since it was built in the late 1950s, early 1960s, mm. if I remember correctly. Anyway, the Gardner Expressway is a scar across the downtown. But of course, once these things get built, they're very hard to remove. But it is a 1960s era elevated freeway. And so, you know, like I've talked about in so many of my videos, roads have a lifetime. And eventually you can't just pave them again. You got to rebuild them. And rebuilding always costs more than building it in the first place because you got to do it on an active highway. Mm -hmm. And the gardener is literally crumbling. It's way past its lifetime. Literally crumbling as in there are chunks of concrete falling off of it. And they've been patching it up. There was a huge debate on this back in around 2000. I think this is 2015 to 18, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly really split the city in two as to whether they should rebuild this thing or whether they should tear it down and turn it into a boulevard, like has been done in many other cities. You know, San Francisco did this with their M. Barcadero freeway. Seattle did it as well. Tearing down urban freeways has become a thing. I know in the United States, the federal government is providing funds now for cities to tear down their urban expressways because they were a terrible idea. This was one of these 1960s the Futurama, Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be zipping around on these highways above everything else that turned out to be a completed utter mess. And honestly, in Toronto, it's even worse because most of those U.S. cities, you know, there's not much around the highways. But in Toronto, it's like we built so much stuff like condos and towers. Literally right up against them. I remember a friend of mine was renting a condo for many years when we were younger. One of the first ones that was built right up next to the gardener years ago. And I still remember he had these big, like thick insulated windows that wouldn't open so mm-hmm. that you generally couldn't hear the gardener. But if you went into his bathroom where they had the extraction that, was, fan or whatever, you know, the extraction fan, yeah. it was like you were standing next to the highway. It was just this roar of cars constantly while you were in the bathroom. It was the most comical thing. We haven't got to this point in the discourse yet, but I kind of like follow London, for example. And like, right. that will give you asthma. <laughs> like that is not yes. good for you. It's terrible for it's your health. It's really not. I so know. if you live next to the gardener, basically, you never can open your windows and you must run an air purifier at all times or else you yes. will probably get serious lung issues. And there are tens of thousands of people living right next to the gardener. Yes. I mean, there are so many reasons why that highway is a terrible idea. And the cost of it, it was so dodgy because I remember following it and the costs seemed too low from what they were talking about. And I found that So the way that Toronto tracks its budget is a five-year transportation budget. Mm -hmm. And so they kept trying to put everything into year six Mm -hmm. so that it wouldn't show up in the budget. Because effectively, the rebuild of the Gardner was going to be over 50% of the entire transportation budget for five years. Mm -hmm. Like, of the entire city. Mm -hmm. And that's transportation for everything else. That's all your bike lanes. That's all your repaving. That's all your road widening. That's everything. Mm -hmm. Over 50% of it was going to go to this one stretch of highway. And they calculated that during rush hour, it brought 8% of commuters into the city. There were actually more people that were brought in by walking and cycling into downtown than there were by this stretch of the Gardner. And they were going to spend over 50% of it. So when you go on these nut jobs websites and they're like, they spent 70 million on bike lanes. I mean, come yeah, on, I, I hear the bike lanes are pretty expensive, you know. 
they're eating a lot of our cash. Oh my God. I remember back when they were talking about the gardener, there was a cycling advocate who did the calculations and found that at the time there were these bike lanes that were built and the right wing counselors were going off about how expensive they were. And he did the calculations to show that you could put those bike lanes on every single arterial road in the entire city and it would be 2% of the gardener expansion. So it was like ludicrous that they were talking about. This. You could buy 150,000 e-bikes for Toronto residents <laughs> for the same <laughs> budget. That's absurd. But in the end, it was extraordinarily close. And John Tory had to go around and do some politicking to get the votes he needed. But he managed to get it one vote to rebuild the gardener. But a lot of people weren't happy with it to say the least. And yeah, so this has come up again. It's come up again because, as you can expect, the estimates for how much it's going to cost have gone up too. Mm -hmm. And as we've gone on, years have gone on and more cities have torn down their urban freeways. And you didn't get Carmageddon, like everyone says is going to happen. They say the whole city's going to grind to a halt. Well, actually, no, it doesn't. Actually, the alternatives become better and the city does improve when urban freeways are removed. So now that evidence is becoming stronger from other cities like San Francisco, like Seattle, that have done this if they have transit alternatives in place. And that was one of the things that was talked about is for this huge cost of rebuilding the gardener, they could build more, for example, the waterfront LRT. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) waterfront LRT, which they should be building, (laughs) is sadly on no one's platform, as far as I can really tell, none of the top running candidates. So that's disappointing because especially like yeah, don't rebuild that part of the gardener, but build that, at least in exchange. Yeah, like, let's do it an accurate boulevard. The only thing I'm concerned about is it's critical that the design of that doesn't suck. <laughs> because if you've seen the tunnel Seattle put in to replace one of their highways, because they, like, ripped the Alaskan Way highway thing down and they built a tunnel, they built these entrances yep. into the downtown of Seattle that basically shoot cars out at like 100 kilometers per hour. And there's all these <laughs> yes. videos of drivers coming out and like videos, slamming yeah. on the brakes and just flying across the road. Yeah. So it's critical that they put traffic calming on the end of the highway so people aren't driving fast. And don't make it like a nine lane, like reversible strode type of because that's like a I nice know. area of the city. Like this is where the Portlands are, all that redevelopment. It's really kind of hilarious that you're like, this is our biggest climate project. And in the background is like this highway. (laughs) I know, right? This highway that's going to be redesigned. And they were debating whether they do the simple redesign or the hybrid. All these names. gives a little bit of land. And there was all this. Oh, God, it was such a freaking mess. But I remember after they voted to rebuild the gardener, I was like, okay, well, let's get rid of Lakeshore then. Like, because effectively what you have in Toronto is you have the elevated gardener expressway. And then you have Lakeshore Boulevard, which is effectively a, a highway. Yeah. yeah, it's like effectively a second deck. And when people talk about the gardener blocking access to the waterfront, it's actually more, I mean, the exits to the gardener certainly do, the traffic mm-hmm. certainly does, but it's mostly Lakeshore, right? You're talking like six lane highway running under the other highway. Yeah. And I remember when there were discussions about maybe, you know, blocking off Lakeshore or putting bike lanes on it or trains or whatever, People were like, well, what if the gardener's closed? We need Lakeshore. I'm like, so what? It's your backup highway now? Really? We need highways and we need backup highways right through the center of our downtown? Yeah, <laughs> there's, you know, honestly, now that there's so much more Go Train service getting built that goes right there, build, you know, there's a station that's going to get built right at the east end, kind of at the right. Don River at East Harbor. You got like a great transit option there now. You're going to build the LRT. You've got like two different rail options on that corridor. I mean, I think advocate for a new go station to like kind of serve in the middle but 
you got so many transit options in there. And that goes way out to the East End. Like, you know, if you're coming from Scarborough, driving down the DVP, you can just get on a GO train. It'll be faster and more reliable anyways. You know, the fact that Toronto is actually building a bunch of new transit, you know, they're doing the Ontario line, they're doing the the GO electrification. I mean, if you wanted to learn more, you could watch this great channel called RM Transit. Actually, he talks about the... It's great. He's a guy who's a handsome genius. A good channel ever. So Toronto is actually building quite a lot of transit, like really a lot more than people seem to recognize. And it is absurd that we're still talking about having to have these urban highways and massive strodes and everything else. It's ridiculous. Like the Gardner, even if you were supportive of it five years ago, you should reassess because now we're going to have a subway line there. And then at the same time, you say $500 million that could be spent on a lot of... I like how Matt Lau frames it. It's just like there are other priorities that we could spend $500 million on. $500 million, right? Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, you could send someone to space probably for that amount of money, <laughs> right? Well, the full Gardner Expressway was in the billions. Oh, for last sure. Last I checked, it was $2.3 or something. or And I think it was going up over three. And this is the least used portion, too. So it's not even I like know, there's right? a traffic impact. It really does just show that Toronto has this car-centric ideology. And, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, they bulldozed a whole bunch of downtown, like mm-hmm. a lot of North American cities did. And it was just a car sewer. Nobody wanted to live downtown. I remember even when I first moved to Toronto in 2000, it was only just barely starting to really urbanize. There were condos going up and stuff. But I worked near Victoria Park and Shepherd, and people were like, why would you live downtown? Mm-hmm. Like at that time, and that's only 23 years ago, right? And now the King Spadina neighborhood at the time that I moved there was almost nobody. Yeah. It was basically zero. <laughs> And now what is it? The King Spadina built at least 40,000 units, but I think the population was scheduled to go up to 200,000 people. Yeah, it is crazy. I did a video recently in the area and it's high rises everywhere. Every street has 10 times more pedestrians than cars, even though the street is jammed with cars. It is insane. No one who actually is walking around would say what we need is additional car traffic here. Right. We should be desperately trying to disincentivize driving because there's just no space. That's exactly it. Like there's complete gridlock already. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so I find a lot of this discussion, people are still talking about Toronto as if it's this place where everyone comes in by car. But if you look at, and I remember this was part of the discussion during the Gardner discussion, the amount of cars coming into downtown Toronto has been flat since the 1960s. And they keep projecting it's going to keep going up because that's what traffic engineers love to do. But it's effectively been flat for decades and decades and decades. And Toronto has exploded in growth. And almost all of that growth has come from people using transit. And if you look at, for instance, people who live and work downtown, it's about 50% of them walk to work. Mm -hmm. Like the amount of pedestrians in downtown Toronto these days is insane. Yeah, because no one could drive. No one could get there in a car. It's just impossible. It's true. It's just too slow. So yeah, it's absolutely absurd. When you walk along King Street, it feels like Manhattan. You know, like it's just towers upon towers upon towers. People living there, do not mostly own cars. Most of these people are car free. So the idea that we shouldn't be building a city that is tuned to those residents who do not own cars, it's why Mark Saunders probably isn't campaigning in the places where most people live. It's out in Tobacco. Exactly. And this is one of the, I mean, I've talked about this in videos before. Uh, This is one of these situations in Toronto where there's this huge split between the 
far out suburbs and the inner core. I mean, if you look at the way that people get around way out in the suburbs, they're like 98% driving every day. But a lot of those people are driving to jobs in suburbs. Mm -hmm. Like they don't even come downtown. But these people vote this way. And some of them, they don't even recognize that Toronto has changed this way. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll see the buildings going up when they're driving to the Jays game or something. But they don't have any concept of the fact that King Spadina has grown by, you know, like 40,000 people or 20,000 people or whatever in the space of 10 years. That is the size of like a mid-sized U.S. American downtown in terms right? of population. It's like a huge number. It's absurd how many people are living there. And some of these condos are going up. I've seen them. They have the boards that go up. They'll show, you know, the plan for the development. And on those boards, they always have the number of car parking spaces, the number of bike parking spaces. I've seen lots of condos that have been going up over the last five years that have zero car parking spaces, yep. like literally towers that have no car parking. If they have anything, they have car share parking and visitor parking, mm -hmm. no resident parking at all. And this is entire towers of people. Yep. This is just not the same city that it was even when I moved there 23 years ago. Absolutely. Anyway, that was... A good aside, but yes. anything else to say on Pai Lao before we move on to Chow? The thing I do like is she wants to do more like automated ticketing and stuff. So like the speed cameras in Toronto have actually been ticketing a huge number of people. That's right. They're expanding that. Totally for that. I remember reading that in her platform that she explicitly wants to expand automated ticketing. And also automating ticketing of people who pass streetcars, which maybe we can turn that into automating people who block streetcar lanes on King Street. Wouldn't that be nice? I think more automated ticketing is just like a huge win. People don't like cops because cops often discriminate, but a camera doesn't. So just like set up a bajillion of them. And like, if you speed, you will be ticketed. It's like such a great incentive to tell people to not speed. You would think that the former chief of police, Mark Saunders, would be in favor of this because part of his reason for basically not enforcing traffic laws was to say that the police are busier mm -hmm. with more important things. You'd think if that was the reason, he'd be all over automated enforcement. But for some reason, he's not. Yeah. And it's great for the bottom line of the city, too. If you're getting like 10,000 tickets and each one is $40, right? That's $400,000 you just made. And that's a couple months. Yeah. The only problem is that can lead to some very perverse incentives. Because I remember a whole ordeal in Chicago that they changed the light timing so that yellows were shorter in order to increase revenue from red light cameras. Oh, well, I don't think we really have that many red light cameras, though. It's all speed cameras. Well, Bailao was actually talking specifically about putting some in and talking about gridlock cameras as well. Because this was one thing we talked about on our last podcast. The blocking of the intersections. The blocking of the intersections. Which is bonkers when yeah. I remember last time I walked around downtown, I'm like, how do they live this way? Why do they let this continue? Like intersections are just blocked mm -hmm. every light cycle. Crazy. It is. Anyway. <laughs> so Chow? Okay. Yeah, Olivia Chow. Now, I have actually quite a bit of experience with Olivia Chow. I've met her several times. She would absolutely be my choice for this. And in fact, I voted for Olivia Chow in the last election when I lived in Toronto when she was running against John Tory. So I can talk a lot about Chow, but maybe I'll let you go first and you can talk about her platform or any experience you have with her. She's the front runner. So at the moment, she is most likely to be mayor. She has all the same policies as Matlow, basically. A lot of the same ones as Bailao as well. So you're getting coverage of most of the kind of key restoring subway service, building some more transit projects, doing a BRT in Scarborough. That's all happening. She seems most likely to win. And I would just say to people, too, that, like, 
I think on a lot of these, you're going to have to go look at things like housing too, because like that's yes. the only thing that's going to differentiate between like, so if it's a close, look at housing, look at some of these other issues. She seemed to have the most detailed policies. Bailao had like six policy things and then Chow had like 20. So it seems like she has kind of a bit more of a sophisticated plan for what's going to happen. So positive overall, to be honest. Yeah, I know we talk a lot about transportation because that's what our specialty is. Yeah. But of course, there's way more in there than transportation yeah, and housing bikes, policy, is certainly. But it's not just bikes, no. believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great YouTube channel, yeah. actually. I found it the other day. It's really, I think you should watch that as well. Yeah. Watch that after you're done watching RM Transit. So, yeah, Olivia Chow, I think she's just a fantastic politician as far as politicians go. It's hard to believe that I would say that a politician is a good thing. <laughs> you know, she was married to Jack Layton for many years, who was also actually a pretty great politician as well. And I gave him a shout out in one of my Toronto videos that I made. But I don't want to, you know, tag her as the person who was married mm. to Jack Layton, because in her own political career, she's done some really great things mm -hmm. for the city. She used to be a Toronto councillor for many years before she stepped down to run for mayor. You know, I actually have a great story about her. I mean, I worked with her a lot on bike lane projects, on all sorts of stuff. I think, again, I can't say enough good things about Chow, but there was one thing that happened, one story that I have to share here that made me really, really respect her. And it was the first time I met her, actually. So this was back in 2000. Hmm. And I actually used to be a rave DJ, and I used to go to raves Interesting. in Toronto. Yeah. So I was a rave DJ in 98, 99, 2000, and I was very much in that scene. I knew a lot of other DJs and promoters. And in, I think it was 99 or maybe 2000, there was a young man who died at a rave in Toronto. Mm. And that became a huge ordeal in city council. Like that was all they were talking about. That was all that was in the news. It was like a giant spotlight on the rave scene, whereas before nobody cared. It was just one of these things that happened in old warehouses, which are now all turned into condos. Anyway, there was a lot of crazy crap going on in the news and in city hall. And it was absolutely absurd. Like, you know, that whole like satanic panic that mm -hmm. happened over Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. back in the United States. And like, the, I think it was the 80s or something like that. It was like that level of stuff. It was like, oh, these are satanic rituals that are happening in these raves and they're coming for your children. And it was all this. It was absolutely that, That's the traditional like alignment. Like a lot of people don't realize that the political alignment in Toronto often falls along this kind of puritanical versus like yes. cosmopolitan spectrum. And like Olivia Chow... And other progressives tend to be people who are okay with others having fun. And yes. the Mark Saunders of the world tend to believe that you should go to bed at 6 p.m. <laughs> so just worth so, considering. So this happened with the rave scene. I mean, it was terrible that this guy died, of course. That was an absolutely awful thing. But people die. Things happen. People fall and hurt themselves, get killed. All sorts of stuff happens in Toronto. And this is also during the huge spate of gun deaths that were happening at the same time. But that didn't take nearly as much of the headspace of the politicians as this death did at a rave. And anyway, long story short, there was so much ridiculous lies going through the press and through city council, and they were going to make raves illegal. And Olivia Chow was the only one who stood up in council and says, I don't actually know what these things are. I've never been to a rave. I don't know what they are. I, I've never heard of these things. And so you know what she did? She went to one. She went to a rave. So the very first time I met Olivia Chow was at a rave at the Opera House. Oh, there you go. And I met her there because she came out and she's like, I didn't know what these were. I heard all these crazy things. I heard these were these demonic 
late night events where they were feasting on the blood of children or something. And so she came out and I met her there. That was the first time I met her. And we had a chat about like what the rave scene was and what it's all about. And she talked to lots of other people there. And then she went back to council and she's like, hey, actually, they're not sucking the blood out of children of these things. You know that? And I had great respect for her because here was the thing that was all political. People were going crazy. And she's like, whoa, 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 slow down. I'm going to actually go check this out for myself. And so that's the kind of person Olivia Chow is. She actually goes and learns things instead of just jumping to conclusions or having crazy ideological. Are you saying she cares about the truth? <laughs> Believe it or not. It's incredible. I know, right? It's un unheard of truly for a politician these days. <sighs> it really is. And I had so much respect for her for just doing that. Yeah. Because certainly politically, it would have been way easier for her to just go along with everybody else and say, yeah, let's just make these things illegal. Mm, for sure. There was no benefit to her politically to doing this, but she was just in search of the truth. No, it's really respectable. Yeah. And then I had other positive interactions with her again on things like bike lanes and things like that on housing policy. I've been very happy with Olivia Chow. And I'm glad to see her back, to be honest, because I thought she was gone after losing to John Tory. And then she wasn't in the next election. No, I don't think so. Case? Yeah, because I she wasn't in fell Toronto off the then. map a bit. But she's back. Yeah. First she's place. Back. Right now. I know, right? Like, it seems like I would give her like a 60% chance of being mayor. So... Yeah, well, the thing is, she's in first place, but a lot of candidates, because what is first place? What is she polling? What percentage is that? Around 30%. Okay. And Bailao's only at about 20. Right. Well, that's respectable. Yeah. So between Bailao and her, that's a win for sure. Saunders is at like 13%. So he's literally yeah. one fifth of the first two combined. Right. That's still too high. You're nervous in Amsterdam. You're sitting there. <laughs> You know, I know, I just, I spent an awful lot of time in Toronto and involved in city politics in Toronto, and I spent too much time in advocacy, and that's where I learned that I'm not a good advocate, because I tend to do things like look at the data, put the data in front of people, and say, look at this. It clearly says this. And they're like, nah, I'd rather drive. And I was like, so how about you go fuck yourself? <laughs> and that's where I could never quite get past that level of advocacy. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know. So anything else you want to say on Olivia Chow? I think obviously she's my preferred candidate in this election, but I think I've made that crystal clear. No, I think she'll probably win. I mean, I'm kind of the position that like, you know, day of election, whoever's polling in first, that isn't Saunders, pretty much Saunders. I don't think Fury is winning. Yeah. Vote for them. But right now that's Chow. So right now vote for Chow. Well, except wait till the day of. If please. you can. Yeah. Because this happens every single time. The polling goes crazy. Yeah, like Bailao could drop out. Exactly. Still, you know, it's possible. That's the way these things go all the time. They come right up to the wire. Somebody drops out. The polling goes crazy. Things go up and down all over the place. Then there's an election. And eh, sometimes it has nothing to do with the polling at all. Yeah. So don't waste your vote. Vote at the last moment so that you have a more valuable vote. And that's really the way it goes. Until Dougie lets us have our ranked choice voting back that he said is too complicated and people get confused by it, even though that didn't happen in London, Ontario. I guess people from London, Ontario are just smarter than the rest of Ontario. What can I say? You know, I prefer we have a hundred person long list, <laughs> to be honest. I think that's not that confusing. I think it's quite straightforward. Oh, my God. And how that works. It is so funny because the thing is, the list is not sorted in any way. No. Right? So it's not like they take the top pollers and put them up top or the best known candidates and put them up top or even the incumbent and put them up. Top. No, I think it's like alphabetical. Oh. Yeah. So you got to search through that list of 100. I hope people. your last name starts with an A. <laughs> 
Like, like, <laughs> it'll be like that AAA plumbing, you know? Yeah. Than the top of the phone book. Basically. <laughs> like Chow and Bylaw were pretty sad. Actually, Saunders is in trouble because of that. Yeah, he's in trouble. No, anybody who would vote for Saunders will get bored by the time they read that far. Yeah, they'll hit Fury and they'll be, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Well, that's far enough. <laughs> But it is crazy. I remember voting in Toronto elections and you get this massive Yeah, the list ballot is like, it's like a poster. Comically large. It is comically large. Because for the councillors, you know, there's five mm-hmm. in each district or something, maybe six or seven in some of the busier ones. They'll be like that Communist Party member, the Libertarian Party member. Mm. But the mayoral one is like... <laughs> so Everyone who wants their name out there. It really is. It's funny. Anyway, so that's the Toronto election. I don't know. We've gone longer than we normally do on this podcast, but I feel like it was justified for this special episode. Is there anything else you want to say on the Toronto election? Don't vote for the anti-bike claim people. Vote for people who are sane. That's that's my, (laughs) my principled, wise advice. I know. Well, you know, I don't think people listening to this podcast need to be told this, but like, Giving alternatives to driving is better for drivers, too. And tell that to your family members who might vote for these other guys. Yeah, right. Exactly. I made a video about this. The Netherlands is the greatest place in the world to be a driver, according to that Waze study, because there are alternatives, because people aren't driving if they don't have to. And that leads to all sorts of benefits for everyone. Yeah. Anyway. That is the Toronto election. Make sure that you go watch that channel I found called RM Transit. It's a good channel on YouTube. Check it out sometime. And thanks for coming back, Reese. We'll definitely have you back on the podcast again because we can't stop talking about Toronto. No, it's a city that is perennially scarred into my brain. (laughs) And mine too. Toronto makes me so sad. It has the potential to be one of the greatest cities in the world. Definitely one of the greatest in North America, but it just can't do it. It looks like we're moving in that direction. Slowly. Mayoral election willing. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Reese. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to The Urbanist Agenda. As usual, all new episodes will be available early on Nebula. So if you're not already a Nebula subscriber, now might be a good time. You can sign up at nebula.tv agenda. And with a subscription to Nebula, you not only support this podcast, you also get access to content by over 150 creators. That's everything from videos to podcasts to classes and more. Nebula is also constantly adding new Nebula originals, which are high-budget productions on a wide range of interesting topics. If you use our link, which again is nebula.tv agenda, you'll get a discount on a yearly subscription, which brings it down to only 30 bucks a year. I'm a big fan of Nebula, which is why all of my Not Just Bikes videos are available there, as well as some that are only available on Nebula, and of course, all episodes of The Urbanist Agenda. So if you're not already a Nebula subscriber, go check it out today. And thanks again for listening.